believe, but a third of the season is in the books in Pac-12 football and college football. This is Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. I'm Yogi Roth, joined by partner, friend, a guy I consider family, Ted Robinson, and our producer in the same light, Michael Molinari. Fellas, welcome to another edition of our ever-growing podcast on Pac-12 football. Well, hey, guys, we had a wonderful night Saturday. And Yoga, I think I said it to you uh, during our telecast on Pac-12 Network, how great is conference ball? (laughs) And we thought we had one, right, with Colorado beating Arizona State and Tempe, a really a nicely played game, well-officiated game. Everything about it was good. And then they played an extra hour beyond us. We're scrambling to find the end of the UCLA-Washington State game where, well, let's face it, Michael Molinari and I both had the honor the honor of being involved with arena football at points. My goodness, we had arena football brought back to the pack Saturday night in Pullman. How awesome was that? Tackling optional, skill position players shine, and what a night, what a crazy night for Pac-12 football. I thought it was interesting in the tavern that we went to after our game that they had Pac-12 network on everywhere, and they couldn't figure out how to get ESPN on the TV. So well, it's a com- I guess it's we're com- it's yes. a common problem. We yes, experience exactly. that every week. I know. Oh, I love that. All right. So just to remind you, if you're just subscribing or just coming across our podcast, we're bringing you Pac-12 football about 30 minutes or less every week. We recap Monday after watching the games. We look back. We look ahead. Dive into all things in between. Make sure you hit us up on social media. All of our links are in the show notes. That being said, we've got four downs where we break down four big picture thoughts or games in the conference and then we have the humanity moment of the week from our producer Michael Molinari at the end so to kick it off first down you got to talk about the Friday night game Utah USC I had picked Utah to go to the college football playoff I think they were everybody's darling in the Pac-12 snap number two Keaton Slovis gets hit by Lecky Fotu. His game is done. His next week's game may be done as they go to UW this weekend. Curious about your thoughts about that game. What surprised you? What impressed you? Maybe even what disappointed you about that Friday night showdown? Wow. Okay. I'll jump in fast. What disappoints me is having another quarterback go down. And this is not at all about the player for Utah, but this is a rule change that must happen in college football. The NFL did it in reaction to Aaron Rodgers getting driven into the ground and his collarbone broken two years ago. And that injury that Slovis suffered. Now, again, he would have, the the rule change likely doesn't prevent the injury, but a defensive player cannot fall with full body weight on a quarterback. There were other roughing the passers called in this game that were crazy because they were not really, you know, you slap a guy in the helmet, you get called for roughing the passer. But a 350-pound guy can land with full body weight, and that's a clean play. And again, by rule in college football now, that was. That was a clean play. But that rule needs to be put in place to, uh, to impact the quarterback. But beyond that, to me, guys, what what really jumped out of me, Utah. Now, Utah, without Zach Moss, most of the game still puts 450-plus yards up of offense. But my goodness, we're used to seeing their offensive line dominate, and they didn't. And especially there was a sequence in the second quarter. They had third and three, right near midfield, second quarter, and they run the ball on third and fourth downs. Now, again, Zach Moss was out by this point, but still, their offensive line couldn't push USC. And that, to me, stunned. And if there's a big picture takeaway for me from watching this game, then that, that would be it. I would say disappointment, Zach Moss. I think he's a dynamic player to watch and disappointing won't be seeing him, at least in the near future, on the field. And surprising was Matt Fink just throwing the ball up in the air and uh, his receivers are making plays with two guys around him every time for touchdowns. I, mean, it was, I was sitting right next to you, Yogi, and I just, I just was laughing, saying this is 
improbable and incredible that this, these connections are happening. Yeah, I co-sign on all that. Um, to me, the disappointing part was it was ugly. Like for as clean as our game was, we had two play, two penalties at halftime. Arizona State, Colorado. I think the game ended with maybe four or five, and a couple of them were late. Um, there were 27 penalties, I believe, in that ball game. So it was just kind of a funky game to watch. I think when you watch it in real time, and then if you looked at the stats, we looked at each other. You know, we were all watching it together and saying, "Man, Utah! It feels like they're up 28 to 10." And that wasn't the case. He was 14-10, SC had a lead, and you're saying to yourself, oh my God, like this keeps going. We know what the Coliseum is like. The energy was there, the juice was there, and here came Matt Fink, who literally dipped into the transfer portal. I had talked to numerous coaches around the country where they thought they were gonna get him. At one point was going to Illinois, comes back. I remember talking to him in training camp because Coach Helton had me come talk to the team about you know, media training, et cetera. And Matt and I hung out afterwards and he, and he struggled with the idea of, he felt like he was competing and playing really well for the starting job, uh, but just wanted a chance. And he kind of felt like it was gonna be hard to get one based on JT Daniels coming back, the system, even what Slovis had done being the number two guy. And I couldn't help but think of that, that he hung around, he got his chance, and he played like we all played on Thanksgiving in the backyard as kids. He was just chucking it up. And when you watch the tape back, this guy literally competed in the absence of fear. He cut it loose. He let it rip. His playmakers made plays against what I felt was the best secondary in the Pac-12 South. And you got to tip your cap to him. And I think even for Clay Helton, what a great moment for them to win a game in a physical contest. And you talked about the defense or the offensive line of Utah, Ted, Drake Jackson, Jay Tefele, Marlon Tui Pelotu. You know, specifically Drake is a freshman. He's right now to me my freshman of the year in a month into the season. He's been dominant in all their contests. They came to play. And I think we got to give him credit to win that game with your third string quarterback against a top 10 team. Yeah. And I would go back to total agreement about USC's defensive line, which is the positive side because Utah's offensive line couldn't push him enough, couldn't push him enough. And that's a positive. The other thing, guys, look, Yogi Roth coached at USC. When I put these games on now and I see USC with their offensive lines spread sideline to sideline, I mean, if I'm, like, I'm thinking my, my uncle from another mother, John Robinson, must be sitting somewhere in his beautiful palatial retirement home just cringing at this. And guess what? Your quarterback got crushed again. Your quarterback got crushed again. You've lost two quarterbacks in three weeks. You've got to figure out a way to protect the quarterback. And this is, this is that, you know, it's happened at Washington State in the air raid forever. Every quarterback until Minshew last year, Gardner was the first guy that got through a year, right, in the air raid up there pretty clean. Every other quarterback has been crushed up there. So I hope that that, for USC's sake, that they can find a way because uh, it's, it's in, an insane positive for them that they've won two conference games already with three different quarterbacks. Uh, it's not a good long-term prescription. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. So we've had UW two of their first three games. Uh, here we are now heading into the next week of college football season, and UW hosts USC this weekend. I can remember when USC, the last time they were there, Sam Darnold went crazy, and he made throws that breaks the heart of a defensive coordinator. I mean, he was making throws look easy that are dramatically difficult. So now SC, they haven't decided yet on inside Pac-12 football on Tuesday, so you'll, you'll have listened to this hopefully prior to that show. We're going to talk to Matt Fink on that show. 
I would presume, at least as of recording right now, Keaton Slovis hasn't been cleared, still in the concussion protocol. So you're either going to have a true freshman against this UW defense or a guy who's never started a game in his career against the UW defense. Curious what you guys think, because that defensive line, whether it's the two redshirt freshmen, Taki and... Uh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name and or Benning Potaai, et cetera, of UW. Yogi. They're a force. Yogi. Taki and Thule. Come on. I didn't want to say Taki. Come on. I didn't want to say that's the greatest. That's the greatest two-man new act in the conference this year. <laughs> that's why I, like. I couldn't even tell you. And I couldn't even tell you their real names. But that's all we heard up there, right, was they talking Taki and Thule. Taki and Thule. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? Uh, I'll say this, and Michael chime in. I thought Washington made the most impressive statement this past Saturday. Uh, by doing what they did and winning the way they did at BYU, again, I think they they emphasized what I think, which was the Cal game was something of an anomaly from their standpoint. And again, I do not diminish what Cal did at all, but because of the crazy delay playing into the hours of the morning, I just think that was a it's going to wind up at the end of the year being an anomaly game for Washington. They took a big step to showing that, and Easton, his game Saturday opened up a lot of eyes. I think for USC, they are going to have trouble with a very confident Eason. And it's hard for me to believe that the Washington secondary isn't going to take care of some of those high-arcing passes into the middle of double coverage that I saw Fink complete on Friday night. Yeah, I agree. Um, you think back to what UW's done against the quote-unquote air raid. Mike Leach hasn't beaten Washington in his tenure, even though last year I would have given them the leg up if there was some, you know, the weather was in in their hands. But you never know what the weather's going to be in Seattle this weekend. So I think it's going to be a stiff test for SC. I'm going to be at Utah, Washington State, two teams coming off, you know, dramatic losses, um, which is going to lead us into our second down of four downs. I think, Michael, this is a you're down to shine here. The TV moments, right? I'm going to hit you with three of them, and I'd love your takes on these. Our game, Colorado, Arizona State, LaVisca Chenault gets injured. We built him up to be the star. The Cal and the end of the game, there's so much communication going on that has to go on between the truck and the booth. And then UCLA, Washington State. I mean, I think it's 49-17 in the third quarter, and you're basically going to all of your filler material, and then the thing flips. So for you, in all three of those instances, what's it like to be the leader of a TV truck in one of those types of games? Well, I think our game, LaVisca and the ASU defense were our, quote, stars going in. That's what we sold. LaVisca, impressive on the first drive. And then you guys are instantly, the next time they're on offense, saying, I don't see LaVisca out there. And immediately, Lewis Johnson hears that, and he is running around trying to find him. Our cameras are looking for him. He ended up being inside the treatment tent, which Lewis found out pretty quickly. Um, And so now we're looking for what was the play that might have been the injury, which I think we found. Um, But again, uh, one of the rules of TV, never speculate on injuries. So I think we handled that well. Um, And then we shifted and eventually it was, well, who else is going to step up for them? Well, the answer is Tony Brown with three touchdowns. And then the other side of that was, how was the issue defense? uh, How was their effectiveness? Well, Steven Montez never, he wasn't sacked and I don't think he ever hit the ground. So that was covered in, they weren't that effective because Montez was great. Um, so that's, and then the final thing we did was we, when LaVisca came back out there, which is great, at least he came back on, onto the field. We had shots of him all the time to re, let people know he wasn't out there and why. And then the end of the game on the game winning field goal, we had a great ISO of him reacting, which really, uh, those are the things that kind of separate, uh, to me, a show or a show that takes that next level because we had that story and 
we were able to follow it, even though it didn't go any way that we planned. Um, the second game, the Cal, the finish. Just so everybody knows, the referees have not only the game you're looking at, but three other cameras that they're watching in real time. So what they said on the third down play that looked like it was close to getting the end zone, they had their eye on another camera and saw that it didn't get in the end zone. So no need to stop it. And frankly, if you stop it there when Ole Miss has no timeouts, that's giving them an advantage they shouldn't have. So it's a very difficult situation. Um, And finally, when you look at that play, the official is right on the line looking right at the play. There is no better view than that. So I I personally know the Pac-12 said they felt that we could have stopped it there. Personally, I I believe I I kind of believe there's a lot of pressure not to because of what I just mentioned. So I thought uh, I thought the officials did a nice job. I know ESPN is stuck because you can't show a replay when they're running the line to run that next play. Eventually, they did go back and show everything. And I thought they did a pretty good job with it. And uh, we'll get to the Weaver uh, post game interview later, but that was epic. Um, <laughs> that was. But I Michael, mean, hey, but Michael, what ESPN yes. never showed which we saw later because the Pac-12 released a video of this on the third down pass. There was a goal line shot. ESPN never showed that replay. Even 10 minutes after the game ended, they were still there, and they never showed that replay. I I can't explain that. Yeah, no, we don't know, but it was puzzling. Right. right? Yeah, definitely puzzling. I would assume, um, I mean, there's many things that go on in a production truck. There might have been poor communication. There could have been that. My guess is there was some miscommunication, and that's why that look never made air. That's all I can say. But if you have a cart, yeah, go ahead, Ted. Yeah, I was just going to say real quickly. There are just two very quick things. Then Yog jump in. One is um, I, I am I'm concerned for the Pac-12 because this drive after the the miscues of last year, now this push for transparency creates a situation where I think you can overcorrect and have every single call now have somebody stand up and scream and demand an explanation. And I get a little bit concerned for the conference's sake on that. Um, and what happened here, the, so Old Miss puts out a statement at the end of the game, their interim athletic director basically calling out the Pac-12 and demanding an explanation, which I thought was very lacking in class. Um, the Pac-12 did respond finally on Sunday night. And I just thought that was really not a not a very classy show by the Ole Miss interim athletic director, whose name was familiar to me. His name is Keith Carter. Keith Carter was a very good student athlete, which was even more disappointing to me that he chose to make that statement. Keith Carter was a, a basketball player at Ole Miss. Keith Carter was on the court when Bryce Drew made one of the <sighs> greatest shots in the history of college basketball. And it was the most crushing loss, without question, in the history of Ole Miss basketball. He was on the court for that moment. You would and think you were courtside, Ted. You were courtside, yes, as I that's remember. That's why the name registered <laughs> for me. And that's why I would have hoped that someone now in his position would have had a little more understanding of the game, the competitiveness of the game, what officials go through, and not have issued, which I thought was just really not – just that statement was not worthy of, of top-level college athletics. Yeah, I think a lot of time now what we're seeing with – 
people that uh, are in college athletics is you play to the tribe, which is the lowest common denominator of fan, which is on Twitter. And I think a lot of times when you feel that pressure, there's an element of, I got to respond. And that, that's what I felt when I saw that. I said, oh, man, like, I get questioning it. But even watching in real time, and, you know, we talked about it of, like, if you were calling that game, what would you have done? And for me as the analyst, like, you have to trust your eyes. And my eyes said the same thing that the officials said. And then when the, they went back and studied it, to me, if you're watching it as an AD or an interim AD up in the booth, or if you're watching it as the official, or if you're watching it calling the game, like, you just have to go with where your eyes tell you versus go with what's happening on your phone like even now we talk about broadcasters are you listening to what fans are saying on social during a broadcast because if you do it'll influence your broadcast and i felt that it influenced clearly the ad we've seen that happen at times in other instances in college football last year lsu a targeting hit and all of a sudden it was pandemonium in baton rouge based on that game and people calling out and wanting the sec to annul the penalty to give them the win and i just think so so often you can you just want to get people on your side sometimes in this era of social media versus no let's just trust the people that have the hardest job which is the officials to Amen. make it's it's what we've been saying since we've been when since we had started this podcast replay is for egregious errors that's ultimately what it should be for the official was standing right on the line looking at it and had the replay official stopped it they'd be complaining that we stopped it and now our Ole Miss had an unfair advantage and maybe they score then so it's it's kind of a can't, can't win situation but again amen amen michael that's exactly the point we we talk all the time yogi you played and coach you talk about make sure your players are in the right position to succeed, right? Well, in this case, on that third down play at Ole Miss, the official was in the absolute right position. He had the best view to make the call, so he was properly placed. And then if you do stop the game, you do create, you you affect the competitive balance of the, of the end of the game. And that, to me, is not fair, which is why, again, I wish that would have been said because I just, I don't want, I don't think any of us want to see overcorrection in this quest for transparency and therefore we're now going to say this coming Saturday we're going to have four different schools stand up and scream because they didn't like a call in the third quarter and they demand an explanation I don't think that's going to be good for the game at all yeah I can't wait to watch guys like Reese Davis Herb Street etc guys like that kind of play talk this weekend on game day and talk about you know was it a Cal win? Because they dominated the game versus a questionable a game maybe could have gone either way based on the call at the end. Because that sets so much of the narrative. So I'm curious for that because overall this weekend in the Pac-12, I thought it was a big time weekend, which I think will get us to our third down. The offense was huge. Right? UCLA, Wazoo led the way. But overall, 33 touchdowns thrown over two miles of passing yards, I think, Michael. Is that what we talked about prior to the show? I, we got that. For, I got that from Mr. Wilner's uh, tweet, so I want to give him credit. Yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. And you look at, okay, Anthony Gordon, nine touchdown passes, bonkers numbers. But I looked at Chase Garbers. He destroyed uh, Mike McIntyre's defense at Ole Miss. I mean, he, he went, we've never seen him play like that. Matt Fink, we talked about. We watched Jaden Daniels, Steven Montez. I thought Jacob Eason and Justin Herbert played as efficient as we've seen. And Tyler Huntley still hasn't thrown a pick. So curious what you guys think about the offensive production and in particular UCLA, Washington State. Well, that's where I was going to go, guys. To me, that's the one that now I've had a chance to watch more of it. We couldn't in real time very much because of our game. Uh, I was stunned. A couple of things jumped out at me watching the second half in particular. Chip Kelly 
and the encouragement with his players as UCLA was starting its comeback. And I thought that was important to see that there was engagement between both sides and, in essence, a buy-in. Second part was Dorian Thompson-Robinson. My gosh, his accuracy, especially on letting Dominic or Dimitri Felton rather hitting him in space and letting him use his speed on a, a beautiful fourth down throw to Irwin. Uh, that, to me, was if. UCLA has to hope that that second half is the launch point for what most everybody had expected wasn't going to happen, right? That Chip's offense was going to kick in because it was brilliant. And the other part I'd say is, again, UCLA's offensive line. I mean, we've been accustomed to seeing Washington State. Think two years ago what Hercules Mata'afa and his crew did and how we were lavishing all this praise on Alex Grinch and what he was doing with the shifting and creating mismatches. And UCLA... That offensive line that we saw struggle a couple weeks ago was pushing the Washington State defensive line around in the second half. And that, to me, was stunning. If I'm Washington State, I'm having a miserable week because the defense, wow, that, that's, that's hard. And their special teams weren't very good either. Yeah, I mean, to me, when I, when I went back and watched that one, and really, when I go, you go back and you watch UCLA. You reference we had in week two. Go to the first drive of the Cincinnati game. First drive of the San Diego State game. First quarter of the Oklahoma game. They're doing good stuff just with a lack of consistency. And I know every coach says it, and it's very coach speaky. But when you watch them on film without the announcers, when I watched UCLA coming into the game, I was like, you know, if they could put it together, they do good stuff. And Chip, nobody's going to criticize, or you know, um, some people will, I guess. But I would never criticize his football acumen and the creativity around getting guys open and you saw them do that and for me we talked about it last week um, and I talked about it with Mike on the Pac-12 Network's Mike Yam the biggest moment of the week to me was going to be when UCLA's backs were against the wall do they just fold and say ah forget it man like we're getting worked they're getting worked in this game I mean they're down 30 up to 30 plus points and the, to come back in that environment behind Dorian who's been under a ton of scrutiny if there was one guy that earned the right to be replaced it was his performance. You could you could argue if there was one of the 12 starting quarterbacks in the Pac-12, he would be ranked number 12, in my opinion, coming into the ball game. And I just loved what he did. You know, he didn't flinch on a big stage. And I think a lot of the quarterbacks um, kind of reveled in the environment of this weekend's contest. And, and he was clearly, you know, one of the leaders there. I thought Justin Herbert's accuracy was phenomenal. Uh, the one touchdown to Breland's back shoulder was it was thrown in one place and one place only, and that was for him to catch for a touchdown. Uh, no interceptions for him, and frankly, a couple drops against Auburn, which prevents Oregon from being undefeated right now. Uh, and for their defense, a number. I know we don't want to talk about defense, but uh, Oregon three consecutive games without allowing a touchdown, which is the first time since like 1936, I believe. So <laughs> was Aliotti running that defense? <laughs> I think so. And, Michael, that's a great point because that's we've talked about this the last few weeks. And in all the offense, yes, the blizzard of offense, tremendous. But to me, that's the other story that jumped out this weekend was what Oregon did on defense against Stanford is not the Stanford of the last few years. Okay, we, we see that. But in the second half, Oregon was able to slow the game down. Right, because they knew their defense was in a good place, that they could easily just hold this lead. They weren't going to get threatened. When have we ever lived to see that, right, that Oregon was going to sit back and trust its defense to close out a game? I hope Aliotti's listening to that. Well, I think that's the point of a championship team. You know, yes, I think there's a lot yes. of uh, 
there's a lot of criticism on Marcus Arroyo, the offensive coordinator at Oregon. And I went back and I've watched every snap of them as you guys have. And I thought he called that whale of a game against a talented defense. Um, you know, the way they took shots, the way they schemed up the throws that you referenced to the tight end. And I have a reel that I'm going to share with you guys and I'll put it on social media of throws of the week. There's about 10 throws and a couple in this game uh, from Justin Herbert, let alone Jacob Eason from this past weekend where you say, whoa, that's really special. And think about what we saw in Pullman was the opposite of what Oregon did. The Cougs should have ran the football and game's over. You know, you just go mathematic. And if you just change the approach just a little bit, and I get that that's an easy layup of criticism, but I think it's fair, especially late in the game on the last drive. Um, you're you're going to take away the time and the game's over. Oregon saw that they had an opportunity to win. Stanford was moving the ball early in the ball game. They did some good stuff, but I thought defensively, um, what Michael referenced was big time. The way they played, the seams, the fades was what Cal did a year ago to Stanford game that we called on the Pac-12 Networks in the final one of the season of jumping outside of the wide receivers. That was really impressive of just basically taking the field away and making receivers run almost out of bounds on the go routes. You know, they eliminated an element of that from Stanford's offense, which is a big part of it. And offensively, we were able to run the football, you know, able to control the clock, able to win physically, which is Mario Cristobal. This isn't an organ of old of maybe what people want from this offense with a great quarterback. And I really appreciated the game plan because it was built to win versus built to build a Heisman campaign or built to build numbers. Yeah. So I, I think that result, guys, to me, puts Oregon right there with Washington. Uh, you know, in this in this North mix. Now, Cal is, of course, standing there screaming at the top of their lungs, like, hey, guys, we're undefeated, which, is, <laughs> which they are. And, and then it also sets up, to me, a huge game now for Washington State with Utah coming up this week, right? I mean, Washington State can't afford another loss. Yeah, it's a great segue to our fourth down of a yeah. look ahead. You know, this yeah. is a huge game for really both of those teams. Can't afford another loss with SC winning the tiebreaker right now. I think we'd have to say yeah. they're a front runner with a third string quarterback. Um, and I agree. I, I can't wait to watch this because, and I think there was fair. There was some, uh, I forget who wrote about it. It might have been Wellner, but it was like Utah hadn't had conference games, hadn't had tough non conference games leading up to this one. And they looked that part. They looked sloppy at times with some turnovers, even playing the ball. You know, Jalen Johnson doesn't get beat deep very often and he did by the receivers at USC which I think they're the most talented in the conference you got to give them credit but I look at that as a huge one also think Friday night again second week in a row Arizona State against the only undefeated team in the Pac-12 the Cal Bears Michael what do you what do you expect in this game having seen ASU only a couple days ago well I expect that the key to the game every time Cal takes the field is how is, how's Arizona State going to account for Evan Weaver? Because <laughs> that guy is an absolute beast. Uh, you know, 18, 22 tackles all over the place. I can't wait to get a Cal game so we can just keep a camera on Evan Weaver the entire time. Yeah. Hey, hey Yogi, just... Yogi, Molinari is a producer. So you know what? He watched that post-game interview that Weaver gave, and Molinari salivated. That just that would have made your year if you had had the if you'd had that post-game it interview. It reminded me of Hulk Hogan with Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> one o'clock, midnight, doesn't matter. We're gonna play. We're gonna come down here to SEC country. I mean, it was it was phenomenal, and I, he meant every word of it. I don't think it was fake, but he meant every word of it. But just the delivery was unbelievable. Yeah, well, he said every, everything that every Pac-12 fan 
says so he just said it on national television in the most dynamic of manners and this dude's a baller he's got that quiet confidence just like justin wilcox has as a coach and uh, i think they're gonna make it really hard on Jane daniels if i had to pick it i'd pick cal in this game based on chase garbers playing the game of his life and arizona state you know, danny gonzalez said it yesterday 100 percent. this game was on me the loss to colorado so they got to get their defense shored up or cal's going to run the football and chase garbers bo baldwin will continue to move the ball and there's a world where cal is a top 15 team after a win because some teams ahead of them will lose this weekend in college football. And if you would have said that when Justin Wilcox was hired, every Cal fan would have taken it. And the majority of them probably said, you're crazy. Well, Cal fans are loving because I, and I know this being around uh, living where I live and being around a lot of Cal people that the lack of defense in the Sonny Dykes era, just the way it was, was, was really disheartening and it was really depressing to their fan base and now they have a rigid defense and that we all know that's Justin Wilcox's identity they have it they're happy and I'm going to say one other thing Yogi you jumped on those USC receivers and we have to wave a flag we haven't talked about much about Colorado but for them to win that game and score 34 where LaVisca Chenault didn't get out of the first quarter those receivers that I mean I hadn't seen that group live until Saturday night that opened my eyes yeah, I'm going to co-sign on that. Okay, so we got a great one. Got a, got a fun, couple fun ones this weekend. Got the Friday night game. Got Khalil Tate against UCLA. That's going to be a really fun game, especially last year, the way that game ended. It was tight. Stanford on the Pac-12 networks, they go to uh, Corvallis. That's going to be a blast. Jake Luton coming off a of bye week. Is KJ Costello healthy? What's going on at Stanford? So we have some fun ones, uh, but we don't want to leave this podcast without getting to Michael Molinari's humanity moment. Michael, you've been, you've been teeing this one up what do you got for us well first of all sonny dykes is 4-0 at smu just want to drop that <laughs> in. Um, second of all hats off to our crew last week uh, a crazy day where they some guys went for about 18 to 20 hours straight from about 7 a.m till 2 in the morning from setup to putting everything away so uh, hats off to them but my humanity moment was uh just something interesting i saw in the truck about a half hour to air while you guys are put on your makeup or whatever you're doing at that point. But um, Mel Tucker agreed to wear a mic uh, for us. So what that means is he puts a microphone on. We can listen to it. We pick out stuff we want to use for a pregame where we take a 30-second edited piece. But what we also do is we have a camera that stays with him the whole time. So he had a mic on from 6 to 6.30. Uh, and at one point, Herm Edwards comes over, and they start exchanging pleasantries. Then Marvin Lewis, who's an ASU special assistant and obviously a longtime NFL head coach, joined them. And a few moments later, Ray Anderson, the uh, AD of ASU, former Stanford player, Harvard Law grad, joined them. And they started talking for a few minutes. And nothing really profound was said, but I was listening to the whole thing. Um, but then, just before they separated, they just stood there for 10 seconds. Nobody said a word. And just kind of, it felt like they were reflecting. And... You know, sometimes silence can be awkward. Other times it's powerful. Certainly this time there was a lot of power in that silence. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking about the game coming up. Maybe they were enjoying the present moment as the team warmed up. Or just maybe they're reflecting on the long individual journeys that brought them together on that sideline in Tempe. What I do know, at the very least, is those 10 seconds gave me an opportunity to reflect the remarkable amount of poise, dignity, class possessed by those four men standing together in silence. And I'm appreciative of that opportunity. Well said. And Mel Tucker wore shorts. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
awesome was that? That that was awesome. And Lewis that Johnson's awesome. post game interview. Yes. It wasn't as good as Evan Weaver post game, but it was pretty good with Mel Tucker about is he going to rock shorts every single week? And I feel like he like freestyle rapped in whatever phrase he said at the end because it was it was classic. Appreciate that, fellas. Um, the pit special, baby. We we had to bounce back from a tough Penn State loss, um, and that's what Panthers do. We bounce back and got another big upset win. Hopefully, they can keep it going. Um, I know we'll keep it going. This podcast has been a blast. We're a month in, um, and we've gotten a ton of reviews from people who have enjoyed it and want more of it. So we're gonna keep bringing it to you. Any Please thoughts? Do. That's right. And, and, and listen, so we Yogi and I don't have a game this week. Yogi's going to Utah. I'm gonna take the Pac-12 banner. I'll be like that Cougar fan. I'm going to take a Pac-12 flag and wave it at Auburn. I'm going to watch Auburn play Mississippi State in uh, the heart of SEC country. It's only going to be 95 degrees there on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and, and so next Monday when we reconvene here, I'll bring a little bit of a report back on SEC country. And I'm headed to Corvallis for Stanford, Oregon State on Pac-12 Network. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right. So we're all going to three different places. We'll miss each other dramatically, but we'll bring it back on Monday. Any thoughts? Kick them to us on social media. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure, along with our producer, Michael Monari. Once again, we thank you and good luck. Another week of college football. It's sad, but it's true. A third of the way done, fellas. But the game goes on and the matchups continue. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.